This is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 75. I'm your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast, we are talking about summer reading. This is the summer reading edition of the Amazon Planet Podcast, and I get to talk about it with the, my, the biggest advocate I know of reading, and that's Dr. Rosemary Oliphant Ingham. She's a professor of teacher education here at the University of Mississippi, and we both have a shared love of these, what we're going to call Western novels. So your Longmire, that was a, a TV show on um, Netflix, but before it was a TV show, it was a set of books by Craig Johnson. And we had those books and we would pass them back and forth. And then she came up with another series to then look at. And that happens to be uh, CJ Box, who talks, uh, whose character Joe Pickett is actually uh, featured now on a series on Paramount Plus, which is cool. Anyway, these sorts of Western sort of characters, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, kind of cowboyish sort of things. But anyway, we, we have this love of these sorts of books and they're the common, like, you know, Jack Reacher or, um, you know, Jack Ryan, any, any Jack. Anyway, these sorts of, you know, character driven novels that are kind of formulaic. It reminded me back of the Hardy Boys when I was a kid that I love reading those as well. And I thought, you know what, there is something to be learned from these books about, about teaching, you know, why do we love them? I mean, if we love them, there's something to be learned about uh, teaching or learning or whatever. And so I wanted to talk about them with my friend, uh, Rosemary Oliphant Ingham, who is an expert on reading and, and she was, she was game. She was game to have some discussions. So you're going to learn a little bit in this conversation about reading, about maybe even things to promote within reading. So even to think about so much stress gets put on, like what people are reading and how they should read it versus she's like, just read. Just read, and, and it's kind of refreshing sort of thing. So um, maybe you're heading to the beach. Maybe uh, this is something to listen to on your way there. Maybe you're, um, you know, you've had, you, we've had a rough year, rough set of years, rough semester. If you're a teacher and thinking about, you know, just want to decompress a little bit, and maybe you're one of these sorts of books, these like, you know, those paperback books that you can get at your independent bookstores like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi. Those little, you know, those little paperbacks that fit nice into your bag. Maybe you're looking for one. And so this is maybe reassuring that, hey, one, great, <laughs> go read it and, and, and take that time for yourself to to just enjoy a good story. Some of those uh, uh, with those characters that you know and love. Or maybe you're picking up a new book with some new characters. And maybe we mentioned something here that you want to pick up. Anyway, um, and just so saying also too that there's something to be learned here as well. Not that you, we want you to relax and maybe just put everything to the side for a second, but there is still something to be learned from these books. And so this was a great conversation with my friend, Rosemary Oliphant Ingham. So without further delay, here it is. Rosemary Oliphant Ingham, thank you for joining me on the Amazon Planet Podcast. How are you? I am fine. How are you? Oh, the, this is this is a good day. This is a good day. I, I can't believe we... Uh, Got a chance to do some talk about summer reads. We're going to be talking about some summer reads here on the Amazon Planet podcast. And what what would you describe as a, a, a summer read? For, well, well, first of all, you, I think you're the biggest reader or the greatest reader I've ever, I've ever heard. Because this is that's your main that your main way of gaining information and do is reading. Is that is, would you say that? Yes, it is my job. As a literature professor, that's my job. So, you know, the old adage, find something to do that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And so when I'm reading, I just tell people to leave me alone. I'm working. There you go. And so I love to read. And because you know I love to read, you are the reason that I'm reading or have read the books that we're talking about today. 
I'm sure you remember, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, you introduced me to Craig Johnson. That's right. Craig Johnson. And I got hooked on, I'm going to call them the Western novels. Western novels. So I appreciate you getting me hooked on that. Those And from that, I've gone to, not sure if you gave me uh, CJ uh, Box or somebody uh -uh. else gave me that. And then also uh, William, oh my gosh, his name just left me, William Kent Kruger. Yeah, that's a new Um, one. That's, uh, well, he's not that new, but I've just discovered him and I don't think you've discovered him yet. New new to us. Yes. New to us. So yeah, these, and so for those that don't know, Craig Johnson is the author of Longmire. And so this is, this is where this goes back to. So Katie's grandmother who has passed away, but she wanted to buy everyone in the family a book. So we went to Walmart to get books or buy her, um, the place that she lived. And so it was like summertime and she's like, wants to get everybody a book. And, and I saw that there was something, uh, the, the first is, I think, uh, Craig Johnson's first book about Walt Longmire was the cold dish. And I saw that in Walmart and it was like, now a Netflix show. And I'm like, Oh, it's kind of someone, they thought it was good enough to make it into a show. So I'm like, I'll, I'll get this, you know, a little cheap paperback book. And it was what, eight 99. And like, here, grandma, this is the book that I want. And just loved it, loved it. And, and then knew, you know, you loved books and, 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 uh, and if you go into Rosemary's office, you see that there is just books everywhere. And, uh, what fraction of the books that you own would be in your office? What do you think? Oh, not even probably 10, 15%. Oh yeah. So and it's, and it's, they're all over. And so I'm like, Hey, yeah. Rosemary, try this out. And here we go. And now it's been back and forth for many years of trading these Western novels, like Walt Longmire, for those that don't know, is a sheriff of Ab, Absaroka County. In Wyoming, I believe. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> With all these details. But but I thought, hey, I've I've enjoyed these novels so much. And then, you know, I go on these runs, Rosemary, where all of a sudden like things come to me and I want to talk about them. Like, so like, and I thought, you know what? There's something about these novels, uh, these types of novels, these kind of maybe even like formulaic sort of mystery novels, but they're not really formulaic, but they're kind of a little bit mystery novels where I wanted to talk about them and like that there's actually something that can be learned about them from teaching uh, that we can learn something about them to help us with our teaching. And you thought, I don't know what you think about it, but I want to at least throw some of these ideas at you. But, and so here we are, we're here. Oh, I definitely agree. Any piece of literature you read, I don't care what it is, any piece of literature, you can learn something. And that's what we're in the business of, is teaching people to learn. Yeah. And uh, as a literature person, I want to find books that will interest my clientele. And everybody's not going to buy into uh, Wuthering Heights. Okay? Everybody's mm-hmm. not going to buy into Silas Marner. But everybody, fi- you've seen my door. It's oh, a yeah. James Patterson quote that says, I'm paraphrasing very badly. There's not a kid who doesn't like to read. There are only kids who haven't been given the right books. Right. And so as a reader, you and I both know, because we both read everything, not just the Western novels. Right. Yeah. 
that we have um, wealth of knowledge that when somebody talks about reading, we can say, have you tried? And we're helping people create readers. So in the area of education, we are helping people become readers by knowing books, a variety of genres that might interest our students. Yeah. And I, that's I, I love, we live in a town that's got what the greatest independent bookstore in the country. Uh, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Square books. And then there's square books, junior and there's off square books. And so, and, and, now, what, and now there's historical square books. Or oh, square rare, books. rare square books. Rare square. Right. Yeah. yeah. So four yeah. books. And so like, I, I remember, um, you know, my, and my kids have always been good readers and you've been a big supporter of that. And like, when they come to your office, like, Hey, have you read this? Have you read this? And so, um, but going into square books, junior and basically offer and and giving them some ideas for like, Hey, here's what Jack, uh, my son, Jack is into and blah, blah, blah. And, And all of a sudden, like, here's five recommendations for books that we think Jack would really love. Or, you know, Noah came in and he needed to find a book that was at a certain Lexile count and, but was interested in some of the things that he was into, like uh, kind of the fantasy sort of things. And, um, and, and they thought about it for a second. They're trying to find one that had, Oh, there's this one. It's the, it's a, it's a novel, about the Napoleonic wars, but with dragons. <laughs> and he was, and he loved it. He loved it. He read it, it met his needs. And it was like having those sorts of, yeah, finding, finding the things that interest you and being able to say that, yeah, there's a book out there for you. And I'm going to jump in here and you mentioned Lexile levels. And for me, that is a four letter word because we don't need, no, that's fine. We don't need to be looking at the reading level of books as much as we need to be looking at the student's interest. Mm. You and I both know, and I know your kid, your boys are fantastic readers and they have read things that are way above their ugly word, Lexile level, just because they were interested in it. Absolutely. And so we need to get away from this idea. Oh, well, this is, you know, like a third grade reading level. Is it the kid interested in it? That's the main thing. Um, So think interest level more than anything else. Yeah. That big, there's to, you know, because we both are uh, professors in the school of education. And so thinking about um, there's a, some research from Constance Steinkoolers who does a lot of research on like video games and stuff. Uh, but also thinking about literacy and she did some studies on, um, on ad- advancing students in their, in their abilities to read and like was showing that just having that interest and all of a sudden, like, you know, like these kids were playing this game, video game, war of the worlds or world of Warcraft. That's it. Not war of the worlds. That's, that was a radio play um, world of Warcraft where they had to like, there's a big challenge. They had to like, defeat this dragon which is all a bunch of them have to get together and defeat a dragon it's really hard but mm-hmm. they found this like reading and someone that written about how to defeat the dragon and it was you know way beyond their quote-unquote lexile levels i guess we are swearing on this podcast a little bit um <laughs> but like because they were interested because they had this need they were like they just devoured that reading and they, and they put it into play and they they defeated the dragon and so like they were able to uh overcome these things because of again what you said interest is like this the biggest variable and they can making sure how can we put things in front of folks that interest them right and i'm going to go back to a book oh my gosh 80s maybe uh daniel fader's hooked on books mm. have you ever heard of no. that 
No. Joel is much younger than I, uh, <laughs> and so he doesn't know this. Uh, Daniel Fader was a newspaper uh, writer, but he very much wanted people to read. This is a story in his book in, from Hooked on Books that he wrote, so I'm giving him credit for this. He decided to give books to a juvenile um, establishment where kids that had been in trouble give them books. And back then he gave paperbacks because paperbacks were supposed to be a little bit racier than hardbacks and so on and so forth. And uh, every kid got a book. They could read it. They could throw it away. They could sell it. They could swap it, whatever. But this one kid ended up with um, the Scarlet Letter. Mm. It's a classic. And uh, I guess he read the blurb on it. He read the book. And he came back to the person who had given him the book and looked at her and said, this ain't about no whore. Mm. And so what had picked, he was a street kid and he was from Chicago, Detroit. I'm not sure what town, but he was a street kid. And that's what someone had said to him. Well, this is a book about, and he read the book because he thought it was going to be about that. And then he came back and said, it wasn't. (laughs) So not only did he read a book that was way above his, probably Lexile level, level. It was a classic, and most kids don't want to read classics. But also, he truly understood the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that story from, again, Daniel Fader, Hooked on Books. Yep. And think about this podcast, we can put links to books, and and so if people are interested, or even just references to, so we can, uh, so people can investigate further. So yeah, we can definitely mention that one. Well, I guess too, the... Um, the the things that I mean I guess I was supported in in my reading and maybe we could talk about yours too is like my dad would always go to the library and we would you know the library was a, a constant place that we would go to and going to the public library was like a, a highlight to go get some more books and and it was like there was power there because I know not only just getting books so like I was a big Hardy Boys uh, and you know fan of those books and then when Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew would get together for like some super caper that was that was amazing. But then also too, there was like, there was books about like free stuff you could get in the mail or something like, and so like to be able to send off, a like it told you, like, if you send a letter to this address, like NASA is going to send back pictures of the shuttle or something like that. Like there was some power with going to the library outside of just getting the books. But I mean, that was a, that was a pretty cool place. I know for, for me as a kid. Well, I have a very different story. I was a non-reader, and I realized that when I got to Ole Miss, University of Mississippi, and was doing my master's degree in reading, I was a product of the 40s where the look-say method, sight word method, where you just Mm -hmm. memorized. I had no phonics growing up at all. And so when I started my master's degree at Ole Miss, I I figured out what my problem was. I didn't know how to attack words. I didn't have word attack skills. I basically taught myself word attack skills. And the way I read now started in my mid twenties and I haven't stopped. Wow. So I'm saying that for people out there who may have a young child, a teenager, or even a young adult who doesn't like to read, don't give up on them. Right find something that they're interested in. And I started my reading with, um, oh, 
can't think of the names now. The Danielle Steele books of mm. that era only. I wasn't reading Danielle Steele. I was reading Victoria Holt and um, I don't know, people like that. But the romance novels, very similar. And this is a segue, very similar to the books that we're supposed to be talking nice. about. Yeah, today, yeah, there you go. In that they had recurring characters. The themes, the plots were very similar because we would, this is one thing we've talked, you and I have talked about, is that these stories have kind of a flow of them. You kind of know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always a man in power. Uh, The sheriff, uh, C.J. Cox is a game warden. The William Kent um, Kruger books, he is a sheriff that had some issues and had to give up, and now he's a P.I. Uh, But they are all kind of men with issues or protagonists with issues. Yeah. But they overcome those issues. And most of the ones are the ones I'm remembering. And, you know, we've both read what probably 50 of these by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They more or less fall into the mystery that happens. Right. They don't go out seeking it. It's more, it just kind of comes to them, especially with um, C.J. Box. And Joe Pickett is a game warden. He's really not supposed to be working with murders and all yeah. of that stuff. So it just kind of comes to him. Um, I love the books, number one, for the storylines. But number two, and I'm going a little bit off base, um, because I don't know very much of that part of the country. Right. Uh, Longmire is in... Montana, Montana, Dakota. Wyoming, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Pickett is in Wyoming. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Montana, Wyoming. Yep, good. And Cork O'Connor, who is the William uh, Kent Kruger person, is in Minnesota. But they also range from Minnesota to Wisconsin. I'll just tell mm-hmm. you, they do talk about Wisconsin a little bit. But they also go to uh, Michigan and they talk about the Upper Peninsula. Yep, the UP. Yeah. The UP, and I am a huge geography person. And I realized these men really have done their research. Mm-hmm. These writers have really have done their research. So you're really learning about geography while you're reading these books. And it's more of osmosis than it is I'm studying geography. Right. But um, I told you I finished the last C.J. Box book this week, and you'll get it. The next time I'm in the office um, and they're going from Wyoming to Denver and from Denver up to Seattle mm. and they go from Denver to Salt Lake City. And I know that area and I'm thinking, mm, I think he kind of made a mistake there. So I went and dug my atlas out. <laughs> he didn't make a mistake. And so that really for me solidifies the idea that not only you're getting a good story, but you're also learning geography. You're learning about the weather, the climate of the mm. area. Again, that's education for me. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, and I introduced one to you about uh, Peter Ash. That's the Nick Petrie yes. has made these Peter Ash novels. And and his is like a modern day. These are modern day story about a, uh, a, a, a veteran a suffering from PTSD who has to sleep outside. If he goes inside, he'd be like, uh, he has this white static that builds up. And so, you know, 
you're learning a little bit about, so not only geographic research, but even like th this author is doing research on like, what are veterans suffering from? Like, what are some things that, you know, you know, obviously there's some fantastical parts of the, of the book, but still thinking about like, what are some things that might have to deal with and, and like some of the, uh, you know, things that they're leaning on from their training that helps them to get by with some things. And so like those, and, and also too, that Peter Ashnell was written by a guy from Wisconsin. So the first one was, was in Milwaukee. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is like driving through Milwaukee when you're talking about this car chase that's happening. Like, I know exactly where they're at. And so and that like, comes back to my point about geography. Yeah, yeah. They, they've done their research. They know what they're doing. Well, William Kent Kruger and C.J. Box both do a lot with Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. But I'm learning a lot about the indigenous people, Native uh, Americans, uh, First Nations that I did not know. Yeah. Um, especially for me, I don't or I didn't think about there being a lot of Native Americans in that part of the U.S. Mm. I usually think about Texas and the deep southwest. Yeah. So I'm learning that stuff too. Yeah. And definitely also too in Longmire. I mean, and his best friend is, is yes, Henry, that's Henry right. Standing yeah. Bear too. Yeah. That's yes, I I haven't read a Longmire book in a while, so I kind of forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. No, I kind of I, I've read all the Longmire books now, so I've, I've gone on to somebody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. So we've got so uh Craig Johnson writes the Longmire books. We have CJ Box, he writes about Joe Pickett, the um the game warden. Uh Nick Pretree writes about Peter Ash, who's kind of a uh, he's kind of a Jack Reacher type, a wandering, um, wandering uh, veteran that's kind of doing good in these various situations. Um, I also like the lead, uh, Jack Reacher books, um, but then you also said William Kent Kruger has what? Cork O'Connor. Cork O'Connor, and Cork is uh, biracial. His mother was one of the indigenous people, and his father was Irish. Nice. Okay. And so he's kind of torn between the two. Uh, groups when he's doing his work. Nice. So, and, oh, go ahead. Okay, I have to jump in here. Also, these gentlemen that we're talking about, and there are lots of more out there, but these gentlemen that we're talking about really are fantastic writers. They are wordsmiths, the way they describe things. And you're talking about us being educators. I'm going to use passages from these books to show my English people how you really describe something. Because when we teach people to write, we talk about you have to describe, you have to make people see things. And these books do this, I think, very well. And they ha and what's interesting is like they're action-oriented books. And so like, oh, there's a fight happening. And it's like, I can actually understand like, like mm -hmm. the, the fight. Like I feel, Oh gosh, you got hit in the face. Like, Oh goodness. There's an elbow there. And, and, and like, or even just the different, you know, chase scenes and things like that. You think about all the different, you know, camera tricks and things that happen within movies and TV shows in order to make that sort of thing happen. And they have the only thing that they have are the words that they put on the page. And it's, it is kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, this last um, CJ box book, he's describing one of the bad guys. And he's described as he looks like a gargoyle. <laughs> well, now, I mean, that's all you need to say. Most yeah, yeah. everybody has an image of a gargoyle. I'm having trouble saying that word. Uh, so he doesn't have to use a lot of words, but he's, sometimes they use lots of words and it sounds wonderful, but sometimes just one word captures it. 
And that's what a good writer does. Nice. Um, so we mentioned our favorites. We kind of have these, you know, so the general definition of like what these are, we're calling them like Western type novels. And even though some of them are, in, I mean, even the, like I like the Jack Reacher ones, and even though those sometimes are in cities, it's still kind of Western-ish if, you, if you're familiar yeah. with Westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, there's some predictability to it. Like, oh, all of a sudden they're, they're in some situation and they got to f- figure it out. And, and which, you know, happens in all these different, obviously the word or else the drama doesn't go anywhere. Um, and I always, and I was thinking back too about my um, Hardy boys experiences where those were very formulaic. And I know you had some background on this with like, you know, Frank and Joe Hardy are, are on a case, like get involved with the case and their dad's on a case and, and they're solving their case, their dad's solving a case. And all of a sudden those cases intersect. And usually there's a friend involved too that's like involved in a situation. And then, oh my goodness, you find out that the, them solving that case is going to be helping their dad solve their case. And then like, oh, they foil everything. And, and it's, you know, kind of a pretty formulaic that way. But it still was something that brought me back over and over again still. And maybe it, it kind of has echoes here with the kinds of stories that you see here that, you know, you knew, usually know by the end of the book, there's going to be some resolution that's okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're going to live happily ever after. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And there's not <laughs> talking about the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and books like that. Um, those were formulaic books. And there was a stable of writers who wrote those books, even though there was one person that was always on the cover. The writers would be given an outline. And then they would fill the outline in. Did you know that? I did not know that. No. Yeah. You, so there I mean, was Franklin not, W. Dixon was not, I couldn't go find Franklin was not W. Dixon. The only, he may have started it, but he was not the only person. Same thing with Nancy Drew and Sue Barton and all of those. It was um, the two of us could be doing that. We would get the outline and we would fill in the outline. Nice. So that's the formulaic part of it. Yeah, but there was so, a stable of writers. And so that that led me to, so, you know, this is, you know, this podcast is about learning how to teach better. And so, okay, we're reading these Western novels and what are some extractions we could take to figure out how to teach better? And one thing I, you know, coming back is I can't remember how many of those Hardy Boys uh, books I read, how many of these, you know, Longmire and Peter Ash and like all these books that I've read why do I keep coming back if there is some, this pattern to them over and over again? And like, that is something like having like the, and it's something the way I like to teach too, is like, I have an expect, a structured expectation for how my classes go, where there's certain things that happen at the beginning. And then we do some in the middle and then I like get the end. And like, there's a, there's the structure there, but then within those spaces is where, you know, creativity happens. Like, Oh, like, we know we're doing this, but it's going to be different every time. And, and those that having that sort of, I guess, what we call them bones to a lesson and, and having mm-hmm. that there, even though that there's, there's some, expe- there's some comfort in expectation, but then there's also going to be some excitement in how each of those things come to be. Yeah. That was something. Listening to writers. Um, they say over and over again, every writer I've heard speak, talks about the fact that they have an outline in their mind, but the story takes a life of its own. Mm. And so as we teach, and I think you just said this, as we teach, we have an outline in our mind, but as we teach, something happens that gets us off on a tangent that really is part of the lesson, but we hadn't thought about that 
but it was kind of organic in that it moves itself. Um, so I like that idea that, yes, they have an idea of where they're going, but sometimes the story writes itself. Yeah, because they kind of have these these characters that they've created and how would their character, you know, these, you know, main characters of the text interact with those like hey there might be some differences going on just like with whatever you're doing within your classroom you're interacting with students and like how are they reacting to the thing that you have planned like you might not know how it is going to go and so yeah, yeah. You go off in a different you, way you always have to i tell my students a couple of things that you have to do if you're a teacher you have to be flexible and you have to be able to think on your feet mm. yeah yeah. And, and kind of getting to those, like, basically like landmarks that you have, you know, like I, yeah. we might wander a little bit, but I eventually got to get there. Um, what, so other lessons, learnings, I'm going to throw another one at you. These people, a lot of times they're, they're living by a code. Like they kind of have, like, we talk about like our students having these, uh, our, our pre-service teachers having like these philosophy statements, like that can guide them for what they're, what, what they would do if they interact with some situation, like, Oh, if, you know, if I really believe in, you know, fostering good relationships in my classroom, that means that I'm going to do X in this situation. And like these folks, you can imagine like, uh, like if Walt Longmire comes across a piece of, uh, of um, uh, litter on, on the road or on the sidewalk, he's going to pick it up. That's his code. Like he's going to do that. That's, that's one like small thing that he, you know, he's going to do. If he's going to go to a bar and order a beer, Walt Longmire always orders Rain, Rainier, Rainier beer, like the same beer all, all the time. Or even too, if there's a choice between doing what's right and doing what's easy, he's going to do what's right, you know, mm-hmm. those sort of things. So like that living by that code, I think that's kind of attractive too, that there's, there's some sort of like, uh, I don't know, moral fabric, I guess, to them and their decision-making. Definitely agree with that. And I'm going to say, but here, and I don't really mean, but, Uh, They also need to realize that sometimes their code is not the code of the school they go into. Mm. Uh, Their code, I will use one of our students, and I don't think Evelyn would mind me using her on the podcast, Evelyn Smith, who defended her honors thesis this spring, and I had Mm -hmm. the pleasure of reading it, um, talked about when she went into the classroom, she thought all students were going to be like she was. Mm. Very in tune to studying, very competitive, wanted to be the best, wanted to learn. And so her code was one, she didn't call it a code, but she had one idea of what the classroom was going to be like. But when she got in there, she realized that everybody didn't have that same idea. And so again, the idea of being flexible, recognizing that there are differences and being flexible with those differences. Yeah. Well, and then seeing how are these characters interact with people that don't have the same, the same code moral that, code. Yeah. Right. That, that's where some drama comes in in, in there. Yes. But then also thinking about, all right, well, what what happens in those situations? And I was trying to think, and I, I was searching my head, like even the the friends that um that each of these people have. So like we talked about Longmire, we have Vic Moretti, who's the uh, deputy sheriff with Longmire and then Henry Standingbear's friend who owns a, uh, a bar in town. And then we have uh, Joe Pickett. I can't remember Joe Pickett's friend. Who's the Nate. Falconer. What's that? Nate. 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 Oh yeah. Nate Romanowski. Romanowski. Yeah. Fal- uh, Falconer. Yes. Yeah. The Falconer. Right. That's right. And so like you, like very, they have different codes and, and they both, recognize that hey you do things a little bit different than i do but for some reason 
they they both interact together like they want to do what's right but they maybe have different ways of of doing that or it, thinking what's right. i think that is a very valid point that we not just in teaching but the world in general we can be friends with people we can have a connections with people we can work with people and we don't all have to be exactly alike mm -hmm. we don't have to think alike we don't have to act alike we're allowed to have different different opinions and with joe pickett and nate they definitely have different opinions because nate wants to be off grid and just kind of anti-government yep. and joe is the joe is I'm the government <laughs> yeah, he's the government and i'm going to do it by the letter of the law no matter what and so I like the idea that it shows just people in general that, hey, it's OK to be different. Mm -hmm. uh, it's OK to have different ideas and you can still be friends with people and you can still work together. Yeah, I think there's there is one of the uh, picket novels where he was going to the Grand Tetons and he was like mm -hmm. going to be the ranger up there, which was it, kind of because kind of interacted with big business, because if you know the Jackson Hole area, there's lots of that happening. And he was interacting with a, um, who you thought would be like the, maybe the, well, I don't want to spoil it. You thought it'd be someone that'd be the antagonist in the, in the book. And actually when they talked to him, he actually was like, he had more in common with him than anyone else, but then still ended up being in conflict. And it was like one of those things where it, it was surprising to see how like the characters interact, but then also too, like you said, having that open mind about who people are and even though they're different than you you get to see like hey we we coming to the same conclusion of like we we have some things in common here and we can still work together it doesn't even though we're not the same or we don't have the same outlook on everything so and see i think that translates beautifully into the classroom mm -hmm. because we have a lot of students who are raised very middle class and end up teaching in a lower class school and they have to respect the code of the people, but we also want to teach them. Mm -hmm. So you can't be the sage on the stage. Right. Um, you know that adage, sage on the stage and guide on the side. We really need to be the guides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Helping people, guides help people rather than telling them what to do. Right. Yeah. And and that means that getting to know people's stories and getting to interact with them, building those relationships, all that right. good stuff that we get to see. Um, and I guess that too, that's a, it's a, it's another thing that we, even though that they're, you know, these people live by a code and everything, they still have their quirks. They're still flawed, right? They still have things that, you know, um, they're, they're different, uh, differences and, and there's a, that, you know, that you're not reading about perfect human beings. Right. And so like right. CJ boxes, you know, um, over the course of the books they've has had some marital trouble troubles and like there's some like disagreements happening but then also you see the, how they resolve some of those things and or else you've seen how peter ash is trying to deal with his ptsd and how he's working on himself and trying to do certain things and whether whether successful or not um i think that's kind of neat too is getting to see how you know people dealing with their own personal problems and and how that evolves over the course of reading several of these books and like, Oh, this is where, um, this is where Joe's at in how he's dealing with <laughs> trying to afford things, right. They're always on a budget. They're always trying to, um, looking around and seeing every, people have everything and they're just barely scraping by or, or else how Peter Ash is trying to, again, deal with PTSD and other things. I think that's now, kind of Long, a nice thing. Longmire really was kind of a loner 
Mm-hmm. But Joe Pickett and Cork O'Connor both have not only wives, but they have children. Mm-hmm. And you see the children grow up yeah. and them dealing with uh, teenage daughters, teenagers, and so on and so forth. And I think that's really interesting. That's a dynamic that I've never had because I don't have children. So it's it's interesting to me to read about the dynamics. Yeah. So I had, and I don't know if you, and I've got one other learning and maybe you've got one too, but my one other learning is that the, what you notice in these things is things are better together. You're better together. Like you're better in relationships. You're better with friends. Like Joe Pickett is not as effective. He, he doesn't have his wife and his, um, uh, his, his friend, Nate, or even his, uh, his dog and his heart. Like he needs, he needs things around. He needs people around him in order to make him better. And I think as a teacher, like thinking that you have all the answers, I think that was the biggest um, threat to my own teaching was thinking that I had all the answers and like shutting my door and trying to like, well, I'm going to solve this myself versus like reaching out to others and knowing like, hey, this person is a gift for this. This person is a gift for this. And if we use them to help my current problems in my teaching, I'm going to be a better teacher. So that's one thing I, I got out of this is like that reinforcement that we're better together as, as in doing things. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Um, You had mentioned when we talked about this, you know, how we would use them in the classroom Mm -hmm. and all of the social and emotional things we've talked about. But I go back to my English and I've already talked about it. You know, I want them to be readers and I want them to be writers. Mm -hmm. And these books are going to help people be both. Nice. Yeah. Because also like people can probably think like, well, what would it, what would a situation in my current, world mm-hmm. and so like and we actually have a, a local uh writer ace atkins who, who writes things about people that live in in around here about a character that's in this basically community and it might that might be interesting for some of some student be like oh wow that's a character from my neck of the woods without which is kind right. of neat right yeah. and having those sorts of things well being better together this is one thing i think this is our I think we're coming up on 11 years together, Rosemary, since uh, you. Oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. You believe that? Jack, how old is Jack? Because Jack didn't exist when you first right. came. Right. J- Jack is 10. Jack is 10. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. 11 years. And Annie was in what? Preschool. Yeah. She was, was going into 3K and Noah was going to be in first grade. So yeah. and now he's going to be a senior in high school. So it's amazing. <laughs> so. When we hire, and I was on your hiring committee, yes. when we hire, I didn't know I was getting a fellow reader and so fellow bibliophile. And so I'm very excited because we can share books and I have shared books with you and I've shared books with your kids. And I'll just swing back to your uh, kids. They've helped me out with my teaching in that they tell me books that they like and don't like, and I can share that with my students and say, this is why this, they didn't like this book for whatever reason. So when it, I mean, Noah literally for the people who are listening would come into my office one afternoon after school and get a three or what two or three hundred page book and bring it back the next day. And he had read it <laughs> and not right. just word called. He had read it. Um, so when he told me he didn't like a book, I really took that to heart to tell my students, look, you're going to have kids that are really good readers and they're not going to like something. Right. So be careful when you're dealing with kids who don't like to read. Make sure that you're getting the books that they really want to read because you can turn them off uh, very quickly. Um uh, 
my major professor in my doctoral program, Richard F. Abrahamson, used to say teachers had, when you're recommending books to students, it was like baseball. You had three tries. Mm. First strike, second strike. If you got that third strike, they're never going to come back to you and ask for a book again. Yeah. And so that's, again, going back to a comment I made at the very beginning, knowing lots and lots and lots of different types of books, genres. I am not a fantasy reader at all, but I read enough to keep myself abreast of it so I can recommend. Nice. Uh, well, but, and and you say, and I know that I just, given your ex- experience with reading and everything, like you're saying like also whatever they read, let them read. Let them read it. So like I've been getting into uh, the comic books a little bit. I used to love comics as a kid. And, you know, there's all these, you know, movies that come out obviously with the uh, comic book characters and they're, it's not like they're making things up. They, these have already existed in the comics. So I want to go back and look at some of the comics that they have. And so like, there's a movie called Thor love and thunder is coming out. Well, that was a comic book series called Thor God of thunder. And I went back and read those comics. So I'm like, I already know what's going to happen in the movie, but, but it's kind of nice that those kids that are excited about those movies, like, Hey, go read the comic. Do you want, you want to learn more about it? You want to know why he's doing something? You want to know why that image that's on the trailer is so iconic? Well, look, go look at the comic and there it is. And you know, so like it's, there's ways again, like you saying, like finding things that kids get excited about and making sure that they can attach it to something with reading. Like there's lots of possibilities out there. Okay. I'm going to jump in with another point. Uh, you're talking about comic books. A lot of people think a kid shouldn't be reading comic books or you've read enough comic books. In the reading field, it's something we call saturation. Mm -hmm. Once you have read enough of something that you are saturated with it, you will move on to something else. Mm -hmm. But you have to reach your own saturation point. Nobody else can reach that for you. And what a lot of parents and teachers do when a child will say, well, I want another Hardy Boys book. They will say, but you've read enough of those. You need to read something else. Well, when you saturate and think about yourself, when you saturated with the Hardy Boys, you moved on to something else. And we don't let the kids saturate. I go back again a long time when Babysitter's Club was really big and there were a hundred something of those books. And parents would try to get the kids to move away from baby girls, especially Babysitter's Club, before they had saturated, before they were ready to move to something else. And when you move, you move up. Mm-hmm. But once you saturated, you move up. Well, and the authors do that too. Cause like, I remember we, you know, like I said, with the Hardy boys, then there was the Hardy boys, like super files with um, Nancy Drew and the Hardy boy, but then there was the Hardy boys case files, which were mm-hmm. a little bit more sophisticated and like people actually died in those books, but like <gasps> they knew it. And so they would, you know, Hey, you would still like these characters. We're going to give you something else. But even thinking about our own experience with the Longmire books, well, then you move to Joe Pickett and then like, Oh, I want to, I want to dive into those. Cause I've, I I'm done with Longmire. I'm good. Like, uh, let me, give me some Joe Pickett. Give me some, uh, some Peter Ash. Give me some, I'm looking forward to uh Cork O'Connor mm-hmm. oven it. So I love that idea of saturation. Look at this, look at it. a little education through a pod. This is why, this is why podcasts are cool. Rosemary. This is a, now someone is going to be going for a walk and they're going to learn something about reading today. Good. I'm yeah. glad. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you and I appreciate thank you. Thank you uh, for asking me. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, this was fun. And I'm, I'm looking forward to our future conversations about some of these books.
Okay, and I'll drop the latest Longmire. I'm going to be in the office this afternoon, so I'll drop it this afternoon. Fantastic. Thank you, Rosemary. Okay. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that's it for this summer reading edition of the Amazon Planet podcast. If you're looking for any of the links to anything we mentioned here in the podcast, you can head to amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 75. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review. And you can also share this thing. If you heard anything like on this episode, maybe you have somebody else that kind of like your Rosemary to me is where somebody else that like shares their love of these sorts of summer reading and want to think about how you can take some of those lessons and learn how to teach better. Just even Rosemary's approach to thinking about reading, I kind of like and want to share it with others. I think it's a... It's a good it's a it's a good approach and she thinks deeply about reading and, and loves reading. And actually I didn't know some of the, that information about her story with her reading. It was kind of kind of unique. So anyway, if you want to share that, also take a look back at some of the previous episodes, especially recently. You know we had Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs that explained the 90s on this podcast. Isn't that kind of amazing? I can't believe still can't believe he uh, agreed to join us and that was just a fun conversation and then I've, I've been continuing to listen to his podcast as he's doing 90 songs. So he's doing this, uh, the second, the another set of 30 uh, to get up to 90 songs that explain the 90s, but he's not changing the title of the podcast. But hey, look back at that episode and, and take a listen. Also, we had uh, David Williamson Schaefer on uh, the previous episode where we talked about how to create great images, images that help people along with a presentation. And also those same sort of image, those same sort of lessons could be placed on images for brands and whatnot. So he thinks pretty deeply about this thing, about how to be memorable and how to really connect an audience with an with an image and, and make that memorable thing. And I know it's worked on me because he's got images that have stuck in my head and hopefully um, I've take some of those lessons and create images that stick in other people's heads. But anyway, uh, take a listen. There's And there's other great stuff there too. Uh, looking to create some good stuff coming up as well. So you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that helps other people find this content. You can uh, subscribe to the uh, Amazon Planet download. That's the email list. You can go anywhere on amazonplanet.com. Go ahead and hit subscribe to the email list. So anytime we have uh, some things we want to share, we'll put it out on the email list. Hasn't been too much lately, but we're looking to get that going in the very near future. You can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Finally, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Rosemary Oliphant Ingham for sharing her expertise and her time for this episode. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.